Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for Milwaukee's philanthropic community, where we highlight people and organizations who are doing great things and making a big difference out in the world today. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach at Ellen Becker Investment Group. So is it just me or do any of you have kids who look in the refrigerator and say, there's nothing to eat, even though you know darn well there's plenty of fruit and healthy snacks in there. And oh, by the way, there's also some leftovers in see-through containers that are perfectly fine to heat up and eat. Think about how we just go to the store and we buy all the food we want, even though we know half of the groceries on the belt should go back because they don't align with our goal of healthy eating. Or maybe that's just me. Most of us just go and, and we get what we need and what we want all the time without even giving it a second thought. But what thoughts run through your mind when you see people on the street asking for handouts or you see those commercials of starving people all over the world? What about those innocent faces of children. Oh my goodness. I mean, that just pulls at the heartstrings. There are a number of nonprofit organizations whose mission is to help those people struggling with hunger. And today we're going to hear from two of them. My first guest today is Dr. John Book, retired president of Concordia University and pastor for the Lutheran Church. And he's also an advocate and a speaker for Food for the Poor Ministry, whose goal is saving lives transforming communities, and renewing hope. I should also add, John, that you are the granddad of Lauren Ellis, who is our resident millennial and marketing aficionado, who does such a super job editing our show and the social media posts, among other things. So welcome to the show, Dr. Book, Pastor Book, Granddad, John, however you, uh, whoever you respond to, right? Right. <laughs> and that's all right if I just call you John? That sounds good. Okay. All right. Why don't you start by telling us how and when Food for the Poor got started? Very good. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, Food for the Poor really began in 1982. A man by the name of Ferd uh, Monford had a shipping business between Miami and uh, Jamaica. And uh, Jill, I know you've uh, been to a lot of those resorts in the Caribbean area. And yeah. they're beautiful, but two blocks away, you find extreme poverty. And so Ferd saw this, and he was a member of the Catholic Church and talked to his priest about how we might reach out to those uh, families that are right around that area. So they came up with a plan that for Ferdinand to go back to Miami when he uh, picked up more supplies, to go to the Catholic Church that he attended there and ask the priest if he would invite the members to bring food and clothing to the church. And then he then would return it to Jamaica in one of the containers and take it to that church. Well, it spread from one church in Miami and one church in Jamaica to a number of uh, Catholic churches. And then as the story is told to me about five years later, the Catholic priest in Miami had a good friend, a Lutheran pastor, just a few blocks away and they would get together for a cup of coffee or perhaps another beverage. And the Catholic priest uh, said, you know, we got to involve the Protestants with this as well. And so through that, the Lutherans became involved and then the Episcopalians. And it's those 
three congregations that are primarily involved, but the headquarters of Food for the Poor uh, is located in Coconut Creek, Florida, and so that's where the head of the operations might be. Okay, well, you mentioned Jamaica. What are some of the other countries that you serve? There are a total of 17 countries. However, most of the work is done in uh, just a few of them, the ones that have the bigger populations or, and or the biggest uh, need. Uh, Haiti is probably the primary one. As you know, Haiti is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. 60% of the people that live below the uh, poverty level and they have an expansive network of distribution hubs there. But as an example, in uh, back in 2010, a horrific earthquake hit just outside of the capital city of Port-au-Prince. Well, Food for the Poor has a large warehouse there, as well as they do in a few other countries. But with the warehouse stocked with grain, they were able to get food and other supplies to the, uh, the people quicker than any other humanitarian organizations. But in addition to Haiti, they have served in Guatemala, Jamaica, the Dominican Republic, Honduras, and, um, and El Salvador. Those are the key ones. Wow. Okay. Well, you're involved in a lot of things. Retired president of Concordia College, a pastor, doctor. Why did you get involved with Food for the Poor? Well, I, after I retired as president of Concordia University, Wisconsin, I got a phone call from... Uh, a church in, in uh, Florida, Bonita Springs there. And they asked me if I would come down to be their winter assistant pastor with, because uh, the attendance uh, dr increases dramatically along the Gulf area there. So I served there. And in the meantime, I got acquainted with a uh, one of the uh, pastors who working for Food for the Poor. And he asked me to join. And so that's where I got involved initially. That was way back in 2011. And I started by agreeing to be assigned three weekends a month to churches throughout the uh, United States. And, and I've enjoyed that opportunity. Now that I'm 84, I've slowed down a little bit, not uh, visiting quite as many on Sunday, but I appreciate you know the travel and the opportunity to meet people and see different styles of worship. But the main thing is to be able to speak for food for the poor. Yeah, so 10 years almost you've been doing this, wow. How does Food for the Poor get its financial support then? Well, in 2019, over $900 million came through with, with cash or gifts in kind. But a lot of that you know, would be cash gifts. And most of that comes from the 95 so or so speakers from the Catholic, Lutheran, and, and uh, Episcopalian denominations. But there are a lot of gifts in kind given. For example, the pharmaceutical companies give a lot of medicine like insulin, anti-diarrhea, uh, medicines that are near the expiration date and can't be sold in the United States, but are still very good. And when they get distributed to the Latin American and Caribbean countries, they're used up very quickly. But one of our biggest suppliers of, uh, of food would be Feed My Starving Children. In addition, you have a country like Taiwan that I think for the fifth year in a row has now made a commitment to provide over $100 million worth of rice. And then you have churches who uh, are changing pews or new churches, and they give their old pews away, which can be used for a variety of purposes in these countries. Same thing with uh, desks from schools and other materials like that. 
Wow. Okay. Well, so you you are a pastor and you are an advocate and a speaker. Where where do some of the other speakers come from? Do you have to be a pastor? Uh, yes, generally because uh, you're you're assigned to preach at the churches, and so most congregations only will take a pastor. However, I would say there are a few deacons uh, in the Catholic Church that are able to uh, serve there, but by and large, that's where the supply comes from. Okay, so people, pastors will just step up and say, I'd like to volunteer to be a speaker, and they get into the mix, and then uh, they just contact Food for the Poor, and they connect them to different locations around the country? Not quite that simple. Normally, it's the other way. You're invited to be a speaker, and you go through some extensive uh, background checks and that whole host of things, and then uh, you indicate how many Sundays a month where you're available. Some only do it once a month. But then they will assign you, and uh, you know you get a notice from their the speaker director, and they say, "Can you go to uh, Los Angeles for the weekend of whatever it is?" Okay, all right. So you're actively involved in that. You said you're 84 years old. You're slowing down a bit, but doesn't sound like it. You're still uh, out there talking and advocating on on their behalf. So that's wonderful. Food is a very basic need, obviously. We all need it, along with water and shelter. Stay tuned to hear about the different ways Food for the Poor provides these basic needs and more. We'll be right back after commercial break. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and talking with Dr. John Book, representative and speaker for Food for the Poor Ministry. So food, water, shelter, basic human needs, right? But we know that some people struggle with these very basic needs. So how does Food for the Poor, John, meet the diverse needs of those you serve in the Caribbean and Latin American countries? Well, the need for food would be the number one. Uh, you have uh, feeding stations in Haiti. Once the food gets to the, uh, the country from the United States, there are feeding stations. For example, we speakers are sent on a mission trip every two years to these countries so we can see firsthand and come back and in our, in our sermon, you know, include that to let the people know. And I usually have PowerPoint slides with my, but an example in uh, Haiti on one of the trips, they took us to a feeding station. That's kind of a crude word, but that's what they call it. But there you have, a, in that particular state location, 15,000 people are fed five days a week. And what they do is come to the station. They have their little tally book so they can be checked, you know, that they've been there. They don't come around for the second or third time. And they bring two two-gallon buckets. And with one bucket, they fill that with beans and rice, which is kind of the staple food of those countries. And then there's a large vat of stew, which will have some meat. So with those two two-gallon buckets, that they uh, ration that out to their family for the day. And they have to also save some of it for the weekend because the station isn't open at that time. And then other ways in which food is provided, they uh, build fishing villages. And uh, there they have provided like a 35-foot plexiglass boat with a motor. They trained them men how to uh, take care of the motor. And with that boat like that, they can go out in the Gulf almost any day of the year when there's not a storm out there. And, and as you know, fish an excellent source of protein. Plus they also have fish farms where they uh, raise the uh, 
catch the fingerlings right there. It's uh, the fish is a bassa from Vietnam. But uh, they put it in the pond, and uh, in about a year, they've grown to the size that they can uh, catch them. They go in with a net. So they have fish farms, but they also have uh, chicken farms, pig farms, uh, uh, goat farms is an excellent source. And you know how Latins love their uh, spicy foods. They now are doing uh, jalapeno farms, uh, those kinds of things. So food. Next to food, water is the second most important thing. They dig wells where there is an area they can do so, but also to provide purification uh, of plants for that. And then there, the other projects they're involved in is uh, setting up medical clinics. Schools would be another important project. Many of the governments cannot afford public schools, so they're private schools. And of course, if they're private, that means they cost a little bit of money, but help build the schools. They don't take care of the operation. They build the schools and uh, supply them with, uh, you know, the desks and things like that, other educational uh, supplies. And then they build orphanages. Uh, let's see, Jill, you're pretty young, so you wouldn't remember the TV show, Charlie's Angels, but one of those is Cheryl Ladd, and she is a, our chief spokesperson for what is called Angels of Hope, where people can support a, a person in the, um, in the orphanage. So those are some of the key areas that uh, where Food for the Poor is involved in helping the people in those countries. That's wonderful. So, and it's nice to know that you're, you know, as, as we're taught biblically, don't just feed someone a fish, but teach them how to fish. So you're actually helping them to sustain themselves, which is, which is wonderful. So water and food, most important. Forgot houses. That's a key one. Uh, build about 5,000 homes a, a year. Uh, they're uh, on a cement slab, concrete block, not very big, only 800 square feet. But I tell you, they're, they're safe, they're clean, and those people appreciate that home more than any of us appreciate what we have here in the United States. Yeah, I imagine. I imagine. What about emergency relief? You said that um, some organizations back here are, are passing on medications that are close to expiration. What else do you do in terms of emergency relief? Well, they have a medical clinics set up, and whenever they can get an area where they can identify clearly who owns the land. And that's a bigger problem that I ever realized. Not only will they build the homes there, let's say it's 100 homes in the community. They also try to build a resource center with that where there are some computers where uh, the adults can be trained during the day, but also a medical clinic there where they can get some of those basic things of, you know, anti-diarrhea drugs. That's one of the biggest problems. Obviously, uh, birth control items and, and uh, uh, insulin for diabetes. So the bottom line is that the people from that community and surrounding area can come and get uh, medical uh, things or, you know, simple things like blood pressure checks up uh, and uh, items like that. So can people donate? Um, I know I've been part of uh, medical relief bags that we send overseas where it might be something as simple as cough syrup or aspirin or baby Tylenol or something like that. Do you accept donations from, from people in, uh, for things like that? To my knowledge, they do not accept those items because there's always a little bit of a risk involved when it comes just from someone. So everything I think comes from the pharmaceutical companies or items such as that. Okay, okay. So how did COVID-19 affect the people in these countries? 
Well, as bad as it is in the United States, it's so much worse in those countries because they don't have the, uh, the jobs and the, the help as we would have here. Uh, so it's devastating. And of course, our speakers can't be out. 2020 is going to be bad for everybody, no matter what it is. But not being the people there, you know, don't have jobs. We're here in the United States. We hear there's a little bit of a comeback. Uh, they don't have a stimulus relief check. There's no such thing as paycheck uh, projection programs for businesses and small organizations. The bottom line is just horrific there. And uh, Food for the Poor is doing what they can. But 2020, they won't be able to provide the help that they normally would. Well, hopefully we get through this crisis quickly, right? And uh, learn what it is we're supposed to learn from it and then uh, move on. Um, so you said pharmaceutical companies are providing the medicine for emergency relief. The pastors are speaking and advocating for food for the poor uh, across the country. What can individuals that are listening do how can they support the work that you do at Food for the Poor Ministry? The best way would be to Google in foodforthepoor.org. Go right to the website of Food for the Poor. They will see on the uh, front page gift catalog, uh, things as expensive as $8,000 for a well, $3,800 for a uh, uh, house, $90 for a goat. A goat is an excellent gift. It seems, for us, it seems kind of weird, but it, a goat will give a gallon of a milk a day and they, you know, live eight to 10 years. Or for $100, you can buy three little pigs. Anyway, in the gift catalog has many, many items, but also to encourage people to consider going on one of the mission trips. Uh, typically, every month, there are at least four countries where they go now. Of course, with COVID, that's all halted for right now, but the countries are typically Haiti, Jamaica, Nicaragua, and uh, Guatemala. And there, if you're young or active enough, can be involved in a mission trip in things as simple as painting walls of school or the home, uh, or uh, cleaning up a, a yard or laying sidewalks. Otherwise, they're just education trips for people to see really what is taking place there, the conditions there, to move the people to see, to reach out and, and help the poorest of the poor. Okay. Well, and what a great way for a group, whether that's a church group or maybe a, you're a business owner and you're looking for a way to uh, collectively give. You know, there's, there's a number of ways, as you said, by visiting your website, but every little bit helps, of course. But if you're looking to have a grander impact, you can come together as a group and figure out how you want to... Uh, perhaps build a well. The Bible study that I lead at Ellen Becker, we uh, went through a catalog, uh, the Samaritan's Purse catalog, and I know a lot of organizations do this. It's a great way to make your giving very tangible. You can look at all these different ways that you can make a large impact. And of course, as you said, water is so key and building a well would be a wonderful way for an organization to, to give back. So thank you very much, uh, Dr. John Book, Pastor John, Granddad, uh, just John, right? John to us. Thank you for participating and sharing your passion uh, and advocating for Food for the Poor Ministry. Thanks for being here today with us. Uh, my pleasure. Every year, millions of children die from preventable causes such as pneumonia, diarrhea, as John talked about, malaria, undernutrition. Hunger is still causing nearly half of deaths in children under five years old. 
It's estimated that at least 6,200 children die each day from causes related to undernutrition. Very sad. Stay tuned to hear about an organization that is dedicated to seeing every child whole in body and spirit and who believes that hope starts with food. More to come when we return. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. Andy Carr is the VP of Development and Marketing with Feed My Starving Children, and he joins us in our next interview. Similar in scope to the mission of Food for the Poor, Feed My Starving Children wants to eliminate hunger, but the difference is that they want to focus, as the name states, on children. Feed My Starving Children's heartbeat and call is to feed God's kids hungry in spirit and body. They believe that that hope starts with food. Their work not only impacts children and communities in desperate need, but it impacts the hearts and the lives of their volunteers and the donors as well. Uh, welcome to the show today, Andy. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Jill. Great to be here with you. According to UNICEF, 130 million people of 8 billion worldwide don't even know where their next meal is coming from. Hunger is still causing nearly half of deaths in children under five years old. And as we said, it's estimated that at least 6,200 uh, children die each day from causes related to undernutrition. Feed My Starving Children is on a mission to change that. In fact, in Matthew 25, Jesus calls us to feed those who are hungry. Feed My Starving Children means all God's children, which includes everyone, right? But they focus on putting it in the hands of the mothers. So tell us, Andy, how Feed My Starving Children is doing that and why you wanted to join in the mission. Well, Jill, um, you know, the, the numbers that you talk about are, are somewhat overwhelming and hard for people to wrap their minds around. Um, that number, sometimes people think, wow, 6,200 kids, and, and they don't put into perspective that that's every single day. Think of, think of a, a large community. The community I live in, you know, we have a high school that has a little over 2,000 students. Think of three of those high schools being wiped out every single day. That's not annually, it's every day. And, and the, the practical thing about this, Jill, is, is that, that the problem that is causing that, that horrific thing to happen is that they don't have food. There's a pretty simple solution. And the answer is, it's food. It's, it's not that complicated. And Feed My Starving Children uh, models itself after that very simple thing. Let's give them something to eat. And it's not just anything. We know that, that, that something is better than nothing. But as a matter of fact, if you can give them proper nutrition, that's going to help even more. And so Feed My Starving Children has a formula that is vitamins, vegetables, soy, and rice that uh, some food scientists uh, helped formulate over 30 years ago with a philanthropist who had seen firsthand the fact that there was kids down in Central America that were starving. They gave them some just basic calories, some granola bars and things, and saw it really wasn't changing their lives in, in a meaningful way. And so he talked to some friends that were in the food business and said, no, you need to give them nutrition and, and not just calories. And that's what this meal, which we call Manapack, 
Um, it, it truly is uh, packed by people who uh, share the mission and purpose of who Feed My Starving Children is to, to produce this meal. It's done in a very effective, efficient way. We can produce that meal for less than a quarter a day, a meal for less than a quarter. So think about that. Over 6,200 kids that uh, if, if people would step forward and care enough to help get that food into the hands of the people that can get it in their bellies, it's going to make a tremendous difference. Hmm. When you say that, that just seems like such an obvious thing for people to, to an obvious way for people to help. A quarter a day, you can feed four kids for a dollar a day. I mean, that just seems, uh, you know, why can't we all do that, right? Um, but sometimes it's just, we don't know. We don't know right. the statistics. And, and that's why we do these shows is to educate people and, and for them to uh, figure out a way that they want to give back. There are a number of organizations that look to feed the poor, uh, in addition to Feed My Starving Children and Food for the Poor Ministry. What makes Feed My Starving Children different, Andy? You know, I, I think the biggest element uh, of what makes Feed My Starving Children unique is we were the ones who came up with the formula that's, that's used, that's so efficient uh, to be able to get into people's hands over 30 years ago. And we have an established network of partner organizations like Food for the Poor across the globe. Um, we feed o- over a million people a day this food. And it's not by any hands of Feed My Starving Children people. We don't have people in the countries like, uh, like John referred to with Food for the Poor. Actually, we donate to Food for the Poor. They, they are one of the largest, if not the largest, recipient of Feed My Starving Children meals. Um, we work in over 70 countries around the globe. Food for the Poor is, our, is primarily in the Caribbean and Central and South America. All the countries that John mentioned, uh, we are the largest supplier of meals uh, for Food for the Poor in those countries. Uh, I've been to those countries. Um, I, too, uh, have traveled like John was describing, um, and I've seen firsthand the impact of this food. Uh, It comes to mind uh, a story of a kids that I happened to meet in a malnutrition clinic. There were two little boys, Machele and Michele. They were uh, 9 and 10 years old, and uh, Machele weighed 28 pounds. Michele, his older brother, weighed 30 pounds. I happened to see them the first day that they were in the malnutrition clinic. I just happened to be there on a trip. Um, And uh, this was just outside of Port-au-Prince, Haiti. And these two little boys had been found up in the mountains um, and had been abandoned. Uh, For whatever reason, they weren't sure. But the villagers uh, that found them uh, brought them down to the malnutrition clinic. I just so happened that year to be in Haiti uh, on three different trips. So six weeks later, I was back in the same place as God would have it, and I got to see Machele and Michele, who had been eating Feed My Starving Children food for six weeks, and you couldn't recognize them. They were literally skin and bones from the moment that I first met them. Now they started to have a smile on their face. As God would have it again, I happened to be there three months later. Those little boys They were stunted in their growth. They don't know how long they had been fending for themselves, but it was obviously they had lived a very, very hard life. But those little boys came and jumped into my arms. Um, They were uh, aware of of the fact that they had had food. And the people that was there caring for Machelet and Michelet told me that this was the first time in that 
period that they had seen them laughing and playing and smiling with the other kids. And that it was because they had food in their belly that they, they showed God's love in, in a simple bowl of, of this rice formula that, uh, that they were able to have every day. And my guess is they probably hadn't seen that uh, in their lifetime. So, you know, that's just amazing, amazing to see the transformation. Yeah. And what an awesome story. And like you said, hope in the form of food, you know, that's where it started and, and what a wonderful story and a happy, not happy ending because the story is continuing. Right. 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 Yeah. John, John mentions Haiti is just a really, really hard place. And, uh, and so they need our help. For sure. You also mentioned malnutrition, and then you also reference undernutrition. Can you help our listeners identify the difference? Yeah. So, uh, so malnutrition, um, you know, it manifests and you see the, the kids with skin and bones, or in, in other cases, you see bloated uh, children, uh, you know, that have, uh, have, have the impact of what's happening to the physical self. But, but undernutrition can actually take the form of not getting proper nutrition. So you can have enough, ca- enough in the form of, of, of calories. But in our country, we see people that are undernourished because they actually may be obese or overweight because they've eaten the wrong stuff. There's some countries where they may eat a diet of just corn. And yet they're, they're tremendously stunted in their growth because they don't have vitamins and proteins that are dramatically needed. You'll see it oftentimes in an orangish reddish tint of hair that kids will have because they haven't had the proper nutrition. So, um, so malnutrition, undernutrition are kind of things that, that what it means is you don't have the right stuff. You either don't have enough of it or you got the wrong stuff. We have a formula that's the right stuff that can be put into people's hands and used in a way that's going to restore them back to health. And actually for, like we said, a dollar a day, you can feed four children. So that's, that's just staggering. Um, So we know though that not one organization can tackle this hunger crisis on their own. Feed My Starving Children works together with other organizations like Food for the Poor to have a greater impact. So stay tuned to hear how these two great organizations share their resources to achieve that task. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's philanthropic community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach, and I'm talking with Andy Carr from Feed My Starving Children. So Andy, we talked about the fact that one organization alone can't possibly handle the hunger crisis themselves. So how has Feed My Starving Children worked with other organizations like Food for the Poor to feed the people? We talked a little bit about it before, but if you could give us more details and maybe who some of the other ones are that you're working with. Yeah, so uh, so food for the poor is a, is a great example. We've got many others. Convoy of Hope uh, comes to mind. Uh, Convoy of Hope uh, helps both domestically and internationally with uh, disaster relief and feeding people here in the United States. But they also are very active in places like Haiti, uh, in the Philippines, in Nicaragua, and and, and other parts uh, of the of the world. Uh, we've got a, a an amazing group out of uh, South Bend, Indiana, called Feed the Hungry. Uh, they work uh, in in many countries around the world. I particularly think they feed over ninety thousand 
uh, people a day in refugee camps in Uganda. Uh, I've also visited their ministries in the Philippines, uh, where they're working uh, in some of the most difficult conditions uh, that I've seen uh, people living in garbage dumps and and areas that are just desperately stacked on top of each other, uh, helping to provide nutrition. Um, we work with International Care Ministries, uh, who, who is also in the Philippines in, in many islands, and they, they have an incredible program they call Transform, that they use the, the meals that Feed My Starving Children donates to them to help draw uh, their, the people in villages into community and teach them life skills about health and uh, economy, how to, how to create jobs and how to develop savings plans within their communities. Um, in the barangays and areas around the different islands in the Philippines. So FEMA Serving Children has an incredible network of, uh, of like-minded people who are out there reaching the ultra poor and, and the least of these that have, uh, have really living on, on $2 a day and less in so many places that, uh, that you and I uh, would have a hard time really understanding uh, what it means each day to wake up and not just think, what am I going to eat? You think, how am I going to eat? And, uh, and so we hope to change that because we know that kids, if, uh, if, if they live in some of the most difficult conditions and they don't have food, so their, their brains don't develop properly, their bodies don't develop properly, how in the heck are they going to have a chance at, at any semblance of, of life? And so it's really, really important to put the food in the hands of those people so that groups like Food for the Poor are so amazing uh, to help with housing and medical care and education uh, and alleviate some of that pressure that they have to provide the proper nutrition to give these people a chance. That's what we're, that's what we're asking people to help organizations like ours so that we can, uh, we can share God's love uh, with his kids around the world because he knows them all and he loves them all. Absolutely. So we were saying before in John's segment that they cannot accept medical donations from the public for uh, health and safety reasons. So if there's a listener out there that says, I want to help, we know that a dollar a day will feed four children with your manna packs, which is awesome. Um, How else can people help? What else can they do? Yeah. So, you know, you you go to fmsc.org. Uh, and, and you'll see on our website a donate button. That's where they can make that contribution. And we always encourage people, when you start thinking about hunger, uh, I, I like to say it this way, don't leap over one problem to get to another problem. But in the course of doing that, why not help with both problems? We certainly know that hunger and, and nutrition is, a, is an issue here in the United States. So help your local food bank. There are lots of opportunities. Don't find an excuse as to why you can't help. Look for the reason of how you can help. Take something to your local food bank and then go to fmsc.org and make a financial donation because this very specific meal that is very cost effective and very efficient in what it's going to do for the kids in need, why not do both? Pick up some extra stuff at your local grocery store, help out your local food shelf, and then make a contribution to help those kids in need that without you uh, stand at a pretty good chance of not surviving. So uh, they're counting on you. Yeah. And I'm glad you mentioned that about, you know, buy something for the local uh, food pantry as well as globally, because, you know, what would you say to someone who might say, you know, why would I donate to uh, 
an international organization when we have a hunger crisis right here in the United States. Yeah, the difference, Jill, is honestly, um, when you look at the statistics to say how many people starve to death because of not having food, in the United States, that answer is zero. Um, And if they do, there is a consequence. Somebody's going to go to jail because they have mistreated or or had a person in a, a situation that wasn't safe. We have safety nets here in the United States. Praise God for that. There are an, there's an amazing amount of resources that are available. We don't ever want to see people have to be in those situations, but the fact is they're available in the United States. In places like Haiti and the countries we've talked about here today, those simply do not exist. And that fact that people die because they don't have food is all too commonplace. We are thankful that's not the case here at home, and I don't want that to be the case anywhere. But until that day comes, we have to do something about it, and that means putting food into people's hands in places in need. We sure do. We sure do. Um, How has the current situation with COVID-19 impacted both Feed My Starving Children's ability to produce and deliver meals? Yeah, Jill. So COVID-19 has uh, caused uh, the basic model of Feed My Starving Children to have to go under some tremendous change. Um, Our meals in previous years had all been packed by volunteers. We had 1.4 million volunteers that visited our sites to pack these meals or attended a mobile pack event, which some of your listeners may have uh, been a part of before. They put on a hairnet, have the music turned up and play uh, to put meals in bags. We've had to uh, scale that back. We were actually where we couldn't have volunteers for a long period of time. We were able to turn to having some machines pack meals. They cost us a little more when that happens. And we're thankful that we're just starting to get some volunteers back into our system right now. But uh, around the world, COVID is is causing uh, meal distribution to be more problematic. And the people around the globe are, are suffering even greater than we are here at home. So uh, we're hopeful that this ends soon, but in the meantime, our partners are pushing through and finding ways to get food into people's hands, but uh, we need more help so we can do even more of that. What thoughts, I mean, we talked about a lot about uh, different things today. What would you like to leave with our audience uh, about the different things that we talked about today? You know, I I want our audience to think about the fact that there is a mom out there right now, somewhere in the world, who is crying out to God and saying, God, I don't know how I'm going to feed my child. I can't do this. I need you. And God's response to that is, is coming right through these airwaves right now. It's those people that have the opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus to respond to that cry. And God is going to use you in a way through organizations like Feed My Starving Children and Food for the Poor, that you are going to be the answer to that mom's prayer. God is going to use your efforts. So make the effort, support Food for the Poor, support Feed My Starving Children, deliver food to your local food shelf, say a prayer for that mom who's crying out somewhere in the world that you don't even know on this side of heaven. But I promise you, When we all meet together in eternity, there is going to be rejoicing and thanking you for what you've done in God's name to help feed his kids. You've got an opportunity to do it. There's not a reason why you shouldn't do it. So go do it. Absolutely. Well, wow. If there's a call to action, that's it right there. Very well said. Uh, 
Thank you, Andy. Andy Carr from Feed My Starving Children and Dr. John Book from Food for the Poor. Uh, thank you both for sharing all that you do to put an end to this very real, very pervasive crisis of hunger throughout the world. Thanks for joining us today. A pleasure. Bless you guys. Thank you. Thank you. If you would like further information about what we talked about today, or if you would like to be considered as a guest on the show, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com or call our office at 262-691-3200. And as Andy and John said, they have active websites out there that you can visit to donate. You can go to their Facebook pages to learn more about uh, the wonderful organizations. Everybody can do something as we say, so, so my call to action would be check them out. Uh, and then join us next Sunday morning at 10 a.m. to learn more about the ways people and organizations are contributing to making our community compassionate and generous. You can tune in to News Talk 1130 on your radio, or you can go to Newstalk1130.com on your computer, or you can listen on your cell phone via the iHeartRadio app. You can also visit our website at ellenbecker.com to listen to previously aired shows, or you can also listen now on demand. So this uh, wonderful interview can be heard all over the world. Uh, on Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. Think about how you can be a part of the solution to end hunger and starvation in our world, whether that's through donating or raising funds, volunteering or advocating for, either locally, nationally, or even globally. Every contribution helps in this fight. As Andy said, a dollar a day will help feed four children. Let's all answer the call in Matthew 25 that says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. Find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing. Have a wonderful Sunday. Does learning a language feel like this? No habla espanol. Hablo. It's hablo? Yes. It's hablo. <laughs> when you learn a language, you want to actually use it. Babbel is designed with that goal in mind. Since my husband is from Guatemala, I'll apply what I've learned in Babbel to our real-life situations. The app is so practical. It helps you learn things that you will actually need. Now try Babbel for free. Just text STUDY to 64000 to start learning a new language today. That's STUDY to 64000. S-T-U-D-Y to 64000. When you're stressed, you just don't feel like yourself. New Natrol Relaxia, a full line of drug-free supplements to help you manage occasional stress and anxiety. A special blend of herbals keeps you feeling calm and balanced throughout the day. Because when there's less stress, there's more you. Try new Natrol Relaxia. Learn more at relaxiamood.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. We've had many opportunities this year to ask ourselves, how can we help? Hi, I'm Karen Ellenbecker, founder and senior wealth advisor for the Ellenbecker Investment Group. Philanthropy is one of the core values of our firm and something we strongly believe in. I invite you to tune into our radio show, Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, on WISN AM 1130, Sundays at 10 a.m. We take this hour to share ways we can all help in our local and global communities. Each week, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach for the Ellen Becker Investment Group, interviews two nonprofit organizations who share their stories and provide ways to get involved to build a better tomorrow. Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community airs on Sundays at 10 a.m. right here on WISN AM 1130. 
For previous shows and to listen on demand, visit ellenbecker.com slash radio.